let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that this evening we might know afresh your incomparably great power for us who believe. Please open our hearts to hear you speaking to us and transform our lives that they might proclaim the glorious name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you watch detective dramas, the ones that keep you on the edge of your seat until the last possible moment, wondering who committed the crime, and it's never who you expect. It's nail-biting, unless you know the ending already, like I did when I read a newspaper review of the last episode of Broadchurch before I'd had a chance to watch it. The program just wasn't the same. I knew the end from the beginning. I wonder if the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego is a bit like that this evening. Perhaps the story is familiar and you know the ending already. You know they're rescued from the fiery furnace. And because of that, the story loses its impact. We fail to recognize the extent to which these three young men laid their lives on the line. We lose sight of their amazing faith. So this evening, I'd like you to try and imagine that you don't know the ending of the story. And I'd like you to put yourselves in the shoes of one of those young men and relive the events with me. You're a fine young man. You'd be pleased to know that you're handsome and intelligent. Yes, Judah is subject to King Nebuchadnezzar, and you are in exile in Babylon, but you've been specially selected for the king's service, and you have excelled in that role. A sympathetic guard lets you eat vegetables instead of the king's food, and you thrived. You prayed that your friend Daniel would be able to interpret the king's dreams, and God answered your prayers. There is, though, just one shadow on the horizon. Your enemies are jealous of your rapid rise to success. They're looking for an opportunity to trip you up. Then comes the news. Nebuchadnezzar is building the most enormous image anyone has ever seen. It's huge. It's impressive. It's made of gold. But there's a problem. All the important officials of Babylon are to bow down to it. And that includes you. Your heart sinks. What are you to do? The words of the Ten Commandments ring in your ears. You 
shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. But Nebuchadnezzar hasn't simply issued a command. He's delivered a warning too. If you fail to bow down to the statue, you will immediately be thrown into a fiery furnace. And you know it's no idle threat. If Daniel hadn't interpreted the king's dreams, the wise men would have been cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble. You may well be aware that the prophet Jeremiah testifies to the fact that the false Israelite prophets Zedekiah and Ahab were burned. Surely God would understand if you bowed down to the idol just once. After all, he'd know that your heart was really set on the one true God. And actually, it might be better for all the Israelites in Babylon. You'd keep your position. You could make sure they were treated fairly. Except... For all its impressiveness, the statue is a man-made idol. How can it compare to the living God? How can you bow down to it? The day of the dedication of the image arrives. You hear the heralds proclaiming in a loud voice that everyone without exception is to bow down. The pressure intensifies as a fanfare of musical instruments resounds through the air. And everyone instantly falls to the ground. Except you and your two friends. With trembling knees, you remain standing. You know that you're taking the biggest risk of your life. And it gets worse. Your enemies tell the king that you've ignored his command. You'd courageously stood up for what you believed. Has God let you down? The king summons you. One look at his face tells you he's not just angry. He's absolutely furious. But he wants to see himself. So he gives you one last chance to bow down to the idol. The choice is stark. Do you take the easy way out and compromise your beliefs? Or do you stand up for what you know is right? It would have been so simple, wouldn't it, for those three friends to take the easy option and choose a comfortable life. But their amazing reply comes without a moment of hesitation. If you've got your Bibles open still at page 886, have a look at verses 16 to 18. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. 
But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Did you notice the absolute confidence in God? He is able. He will rescue us. The certainty that even if he doesn't, they will still obey him. He is still God. And at first, let's be honest, it looks as if God's let them down. The king's not just angry, he's furious. The furnace blazes even hotter than before. The strongest soldiers tie the men tightly. The king's so livid, their punishment's so immediate that he doesn't even bother to remove their outer garments. I wonder what would be going through your mind at this point. Would you still have a confident trust in God? Or would your faith start to waver? This really is faith under pressure, isn't it? I suspect that we will never encounter a situation where our lives are put on the line for our faith. Yet there are times, aren't there, when we have to stand up for what we believe and be the lone voice. Do we do that? Or do we compromise? Or perhaps just take the easy option and keep a low profile? In this story, we know that the friends were ultimately rescued. But perhaps we forget they were saved in the furnace. They weren't saved from it. God allows his people to go through difficult situations. Sometimes there's no rescue in this life. Later this month, we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation beginning in Europe. In England, it resulted in deaths by burning for the bishops Ridley and Latimer and also for the Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. Today, we read stories in the newspapers of those who are dismissed from their jobs because of their faith. The workplace today is not an easy place to be a Christian, nor is university or school. We're all likely to be put in situations where we are the sole voice speaking up for Jesus among a group of unbelievers. As I read this story, though, I can't help feeling that the faith and trust of these three friends was completely unshakable. They didn't back down, even when faced by a completely unscrupulous king. Their faith wasn't just for the times when things were going well. So how does this story help us when our faith is put under pressure? When we are tempted to compromise, when we question what God's doing, what is the secret of these three remarkable young men? The answer is simple. Their focus wasn't on themselves, but on God. A God who, in their own words, is able. They knew 
that their God was powerful. They knew they were making a simple choice between a man-made image on the one hand and the living God on the other. Have a look at verse 1. It tells us that Nebuchadnezzar made the image. Do you notice how many times the passage tells us that the image was set up? You'll find it eight times in the first 18 verses. In other words, it has no power whatsoever. It's man-made. In contrast, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are called to follow the God who made the heavens and the earth. The God who spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Is our vision of God too small? Does he have first place in our lives? These friends were being challenged to make their loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar the most important thing in their lives. They're being asked to worship the idol. Have a look at verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15. That word worship is there each time. And worshipping it involves serving it. The word serve is there in verse 12, 14, 17, 18. We won't be faced with a golden statue, but it's still tempting to put other things in the place that God deserves or simply to allow our fears, our desire to blend in with everyone else, to hamper our service of God. Our call is to worship and serve Jesus. He alone is the true image of the invisible God. One thing you might not know about my husband, and I did tell him I was going to tell you this, is that he's absolutely petrified of wasps. If one comes into the room, you can watch him visibly tense. In reality... They're tiny creatures. And on the basis he's not allergic to wasp stings, the worst they can inflict is a sting that's painful for a while. Fear of a man-eating lion would be more logical. And yet, our fear of people and our desire to fit in can be like that wasp. We fear them in a way that's totally out of proportion. We take our eyes off God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego recognized God's power. We've got an even greater reason to do so. We know that the victory is God's, that Christ defeated sin and death and reigns in glory. We have the ultimate demonstration of God's power. And the The trust of these three young men wasn't misplaced. In the midst of the flames, their mighty God was with them. He was present. No, they weren't saved from the furnace. But God was walking beside them in it. 
Verse 25 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth person in the fire who looks like a son of the gods. We'll never know exactly what he saw. Some interpret it as an angel, some as a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ himself. But what is clear is that God was with them. We're reminded of the words of Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God doesn't promise that he will always deliver us from difficult situations, but he does guarantee to be with us in them. Christ gave himself completely for you and for me. And we're called to walk in his footsteps, to take up our cross and follow him. And that's not easy. But let's not forget that he promises that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. If we know Christ, his Holy Spirit lives within us. I suspect there are lots of us here who can testify that often it's when we go through the most difficult situations in our lives that we're most aware of God's presence. When we stick our neck on the line for what we believe, God is beside us. It's certainly been the case in my life. If you're a student, get involved in evangelism at the university. I can still remember the sense of God's presence that was there during a week of mission as a student. The joy of seeing God at work. After the service, perhaps ask my husband how he became a Christian, and you might know some of the reason that I just said that. The three friends trusted God. And not only was he with them, he used them. God had a purpose. The friends wouldn't have seen that, except with hindsight. But have a look at verse 29. And I know cutting people into pieces sounds incredibly gruesome to us, But that decree from the king means that all the Jewish people in Babylon are free to worship God. If the men had simply bowed down to the idol, that may never have happened. Have a look, too, at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar has changed from the man who sneeringly said, what God will be able to rescue you? to someone who acknowledges that God deserves praise. It's not quite a personal confession of faith. You'll have to wait until next week and the events of chapter 4 for that. But I'm sure that the example of these three friends must move him one step closer to that recognition. God was in control. And he can use the difficult experiences we face in our lives too. Sometimes to draw others to Christ. Sometimes to mould us into the people he wants us to be.
Our part is to trust in the depth and riches of his wisdom. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three young men who knew the pressure of choosing to put God first, of standing up for their faith. But they knew that God is able. Their story shows us a God who is powerful and present, a God who uses people to fulfill his purposes. Living for Christ today means standing up for what we believe, putting our loyalty to God first. But we serve the same God, a God who has shown us his ultimate supremacy and victory in Christ. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are able. When we feel like that soul voice standing up for Jesus, may we know your presence. We acknowledge before you that you are a mighty God and your purposes are beyond our understanding but we ask that you will help us tonight to put our lives in your hands, to trust you, to be used by you, asking only that Christ might be glorified in our lives and in the life of your church gathered here. In Jesus' name. Amen.